Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by these great companies that are giving us money to let you listen to their stuff. Bullshit, Kyle. We make this show. We make this show. You and me. Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by us. <laughs> Someone's got to pay the bills, Dan, because it's not our trading. <laughs> <laughs> All right, roll them. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. Hello and welcome, everyone. You've made it to the China shop. We're so glad you're here. I'm kicking the doors open. Shopkeeper Dan with me as always is Kyle, creator of FinancialNeptitude.com. Kyle, how are you doing today? Uh, a little tuckered out, to be honest. Uh, catching up on all the yard work from, from being gone from last weekend. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah, that grass doesn't stop growing just because you take a vacation. No, it actually grows more when it rains. Uh, we're getting really lucky with some, like, not much rain. So I was only doing oh. it once every other week, but mm, no, mm-hmm. no, mm-hmm. the streak has ended. <laughs> well, maybe someday your trades will make you enough money and you can pay the neighbor kid to mow your lawn. No, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm someday. excited. Today, uh, we are joined by CFP James Woodall from Woodall Wealth Management. How are you doing today, James? Uh, I'm doing pretty good, guys. Uh you know, it's Labor Day weekend, so kind of getting slowly back in the swing of things and getting back into work. And uh, we actually had some pretty crazy rain up in Dallas, uh, and it we needed it. <laughs> There's been a lot of. Uh, I was just in Oklahoma City, and they've been uh, they've been really really dry. Uh, you guys aren't too far from there, right? I think that's only like a three or four hour drive. Yeah, and it was uh, it was pretty wild. So we had the third driest year on record, and then. Ooh. Within 12 to 15, I'm sorry, 12 to 24 hours, we had 15 inches of rain and then went to one of the wettest months on record. Oh, you, uh, where was the other spot that got like 24 inches? Was that St. Louis? Got like 12 or 24, like 24 hour period? Oh, wow. it may have been. I mean, it was, we were pretty, you know, we lost power for a bit. We, uh, you know, had flooding all over the place. So I was kind of in uh, panic mode and uh working through that <laughs> well hopefully it didn't affect your memorial day weekend oh no yeah i came down to the parents house in new Braunfels, so we've been hanging out here and uh wait where in new Braunfels, have you ever heard of it um in the new kind of country brothel new- yep b-r-a-u-n-f-e-l-s oh okay oh. not not uh not what i was thinking yeah i heard brothel <laughs> I, I heard brothel too sounded way different in my head <laughs> <laughs> we're really getting bold in naming these towns i uh, know right <laughs> Oh, I got to go back to Prostitute City. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I can't imagine going to school with that. <laughs> oh, Braunfels? yeah. That's the fun part. The school, <laughs> I think the school mascot is the new Braunfels Unicorns. Oh, nice. Well, James, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? How'd you, uh, how'd you get involved in the investing world? Yeah, so it was, uh, was kind of interesting. So it actually started in college. Um, I was doing engineering before and realized it was not for me. So I did all the hard classes and barely squeaked by and ended up going into uh, international economics. And um, one of the classes we were required to take was econometrics. And I was like, I'm not taking this. I don't know what this is. Not interested. What is econometrics? I'm still trying to figure that out. We'll have a link in the episode description to the definition. Yeah, I was going to like Investopedia or something. But they had, they had a class that was about futures and commodities trading, which made sense because I was at school at Texas Tech, and it's like the largest cotton 
uh, farming in the world is right out there. So I started getting at that class and learning how to read charts, do technical and fundamental analysis, and uh, kind of had a knack for it. So that class got me a job at a large broker dealer. And I went in there working more operations, working with advisors, mm-hmm. kind of seeing what worked and what didn't work. And then after being in a few roles, I said, hey, you know what? I want to be an advisor myself. You know, you have to working closely with these guys. I, I can do this. I think I can do it. And turned out that's what was my passion. I literally remember the day where I was at a bar with a buddy. I said, hey, I want to become an advisor. And I felt the stress like release from my back and was mm. off to the races since then. And then um, at that point, I said, hey, you know what? I think there's a better way to build some mousetrap. So I started my firm, Woodall Wealth Management, which we focus more on families and family businesses instead of, you know, whoever else we can get with a pulse and how much money can you bring in. It's more about build a better relationship. Uh, One of the things that uh, uh, you mentioned in your bio here is uh, um, your grandfather passing away and, and having no estate plan. Like what were some of the, the issues that, 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 that caused? Yeah. So when, when it came to that situation and I was, I was young, I was probably seventh or eighth grade. And we had a lot of issues with basically where are the assets, where are we finding things? If I remember right, you know, there was money found in all kinds of different banks all over the country. Oh, so it wasn't, it wasn't just like how to disperse it. It was trying to find it. Yeah. It was finding it. Uh, the dispersing, it was also an issue too. Um, now that going too deep into the weeds, but, uh, Long story short, about took about a decade after his second wife's passing once the estate was available. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, you know, receiving assets for everybody, and that took about a decade to kind of get finalized. Ooh, yeah, yeah. So it caused a lot, you know, a few issues in the family, and so I said, "Hey, we're not going to ever do that again with my clients." And I kind of beat that drum pretty hard. Yeah, uh, when it comes to having an estate plan. So, so what what's involved? Like, how does an estate plan help that? Just out of curiosity. Yeah, so there's two ways estate plans really work. So one, you have the the mechanics of it. You know, mm-hmm. what goes where to who and how much. But another part of it that a lot of folks don't talk about is actually how do you, you know, use that estate plan to pass your values on to the next generation? Mm-hmm. How do you say, hey, you know, I'm going to give you, I'm, I'm using round numbers. Let's say I'm going to give you $500,000. Sold. Yep, yeah. deal. Awesome. <laughs> 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 you know, it goes that way, right? But yeah. a lot of times what will end up happening is someone will inherit these assets. And I've dealt with this a handful of times with my clients is that they'll say, I can't sell this because it is the last of my husband or the last of my wife. Yeah. Well, it's also a gift and it's a tool to help you move forward and move along. Mm-hmm. So part of that estate plan is saying, hey, you know, you may get these shares of XYZ company. I want you to sell these. Because I want you to go live your life to the fullest. And here's the values that we're pushing along. And here's how the will is going to be read. That way, you know what my thoughts are and what my wishes are. Oh. At the end of the day, you know, you're kind of, you can only control so much, but here's what I want you to do to be successful. Because this is something that I always beat down to is, you know, the first, especially families of great wealth, you know, I tell this everybody is the, with a tenacity that the first generation used to build. Mm-hmm that you know wealth it is up to the second and latter generations with the same tenacity to go and educate themselves on wealth right keep it in the family or keep the family growing and create what's effectively called a family office man okay so that's one thing i never really thought of uh using the actual like will for is to say uh don't keep the house sell it it's okay (laughs) just because you grew up in there there should be no attachment to it take the money and go do something good with your life 
Exactly. And that's where I know we were kind of joking around earlier about, you know, insurance guys. Um, but that's where actually life insurance works really well, right? Because it's literally, mm-hmm. here's a check, tax-free, here you go. Here's the tool, go after it. There's no, no strings attached. It's just, here's the tools, go. Mm-hmm. It makes great sense there. Hmm. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of, you know, emotions tied to it that we don't really account for or think about unless we're planning for a long time and really getting into the weeds on that. Well, I mean, who's in their right mind when they're talking about a loved one just passing? Exactly. Anyway, are you really in the mind to be thinking about finances and money in that point? Yeah, we, we actually we had a situation. So uh, my uncle recently passed and we had a situation where, you know, my aunt was just giving bad advice um, from basically a family friend who said, hey, you know, he has to have his RMD done before he passes away. You know, because I was like, that's absolutely not the case. RMD. Yep. So the required minimum distribution. Oh, right. Yep. So that was required. And, and she was just told, you know, hey, it needs to be done before he passes. In reality, you have until the end of the year. So mm-hmm. there's just a lot of little things, a lot of stress, like you were saying earlier, where uh, you end of life, that's not what you really what you want to deal with. Just focus on the grieving process and, and move right. Man, there's a lot of bad advice out there, isn't there? There, there is. <laughs> Why is there so much trust, do you think? Uh, among the people like who get that bad advice, why do people seem to trust that so easily, but are so distrustful of anything that costs them money? It's I, I did this research years ago on trust, and it comes down to experiences with that individual. Mm-hmm. Um, like let's say you're buying a car, right? And you do all the research in the world and everything, but you have a friend that has the car you're interested in. Yeah, are you going to read the professional opinion, or are you going to talk to your buddy and say, "Hey, what do you think I should do about this car?" And if he says it's a terrible car, you're not going to buy it. Yep. If it's a great car, more than likely you're going to buy it, right? Yeah. Same thing with financial advice. And unfortunately, you know, there's tons of movies out there like Wolf of Wall Street, right? That give advisors <laughs> <laughs> a bad <laughs> reputation. And then, you know, there's also some guys that are always just trying to make a quick buck. So it's uh, it's just unfortunately part of it. Hang on a second. Are you saying Wolf of Wall Street was not an inspirational tale of an underdog? It's not a how-to how guide? <laughs> Did I get? Did I read the wrong book? <laughs> I mean, watching him get out of that Lamborghini was probably a, a true test of will. I thought uh, it was more impressive him driving that car back on Quaaludes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw that movie recently again, and uh, it still holds up. It's still a great movie. Yeah, uh, the book was really good, and I thought, yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio did a really good job with that. He nailed it. He absolutely nailed it. All right. Well, let's talk. Oh, hang on. Let's go back to, to the beginning there where you kind of piqued my interest when you said that you studied uh, technical analysis and, and uh, uh, like basically like actual trading, not investing, but like it sounds like you studied trading. Yeah, we studied the markets. Uh, we studied, you know, actual trading because a lot of the guys in the class were literally cotton farmers mm-hmm. and it's an agricultural class. So um, I love the class so much. I failed it the first time. Because I didn't take it seriously, not took it again. It's just cotton. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, uh, that's actually the big issue because everyone's trading cotton because they knew the fundamentals, right? They knew, okay, like here's how much rain we've had. You know, we know the price is going to drop because the crops, the crop yield's going to be bigger. I had no idea about that. I, did, I was like, I don't even know like what cotton looks like outside of a little white fluffy ball. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that, I, I find that fascinating though that it was a cotton class that taught like trading, like how to actually trade. And I guess that makes sense because as a cotton farmer, like you'd be 
hedging your product through the use of futures products, right? Like that's what they're designed for. That's exactly what they're doing. So they're trading actual cotton contracts. And I've actually had a few clients do that before where I worked at a different firm that were literally just commodity traders. Mm -hmm. And that's what they would do because you lock in the price, you lock in the gains. In fact, the second, I think it's the second time I took that class, there was a massive hailstorm. So they're having a record yield. So the prices were just pitiful. Right. And a lot of the guys were actually taking the information that they learned from class, like when college really helps, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, taking it directly from class to their parents, the farms they're working on to the, for themselves and actually getting these contracts ordered and created. And this crazy hailstorm came in, destroyed the crop, shot the price up and the guys that made the trades and had the deals already set up. Oh no. They, no, they are great. They are fine because they still sold. So what they ended up doing was because they couldn't deliver the product, they sold the contract for so much money. It almost worked out like just like options, right? Yeah. And it was, they loved it. And that was like a light bulb moment for me. I went, oh, you can actually use the market to your advantage to lock in gains, to hedge any risk. Mm -hmm. It was perfect. So uh, second question then, if you are a cotton farmer and you're trading cotton futures, uh, does the information about your your crop output, does that constitute as insider trading information? No, I I wouldn't say so. (laughs) It's a good point though. Is that a gray area? (laughs) How How much do I have today? They they know what's going on though. I'll say this: like those guys were sharp. Um, mm-hmm. like, you know, you see a bunch of guys come in like with dip cans, and I swear drinking beer in class. <laughs> yeah, and yep. you think one thing, and you're proved wrong every single time. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I would not have thought uh, an agricultural class would be the the place to learn about actually trading futures. I find that fascinating. Yeah, it was great. His name is a Dr. Ramon Sheikh at a uh, Texas Tech, mm-hmm. and I remember right, he puts his slides out there on the website for free. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how I learned how to trade. I mean, I, I learned it was that way. That's how I did futures and options. What know? was the guy's name again? Ramon R A H M A N Shake S E or S H E I C K something like that. Uh, he was from Sri Lanka. Really, really cool guy. So I'm just making a note because I want to see if I can find that to put that in the episode description. Yeah, because he does some fascinating. We learned how to make uh, synthetic calls. Have you ever done that or heard about those? Mm-mm. In the, uh, are you talking about in the uh, futures market? Uh, you can do it in the futures market, the options market, even the stock market, where we would do, and there's not computer programs that would do it, like way more effectively than anyone would do it by hand. Mm-hmm. It was more, we learned the fundamentals of it, but it was like you could buy a stock, an option, a bond, and a, con- a contract, and effectively make it to where you can have a gain with, with exceptionally low side of risk. Mm. But the way the math worked out in the real world, he's like, look, guys, this is the class. Is, that's out of scope for the class. But we learned it just right. the fact that it even existed. So did you put any of that information to use? Did you uh, ever try to trade for a living? Uh, I did. I did it for a little bit uh, when I first started working. And I'll be honest with you guys, it was so stressful. I was uh, you know, up late at night checking the market, yeah. checking things moving. I said, you know what? There's a better way to build this mousetrap. Uh, and, and really that's what it came down to so like as that was happening i mean my buddies and i were just making a killing and then getting killed on uh like these like little stupid penny stocks that we were doing yep but but i worked with these clients and i had a guy i'll never forget he had a uh, dividend growth mutual fund mm-hmm. that he put seven thousand dollars in, in like the early 90s and then that was probably 2015 or so uh he was getting thirty thousand dollar dividends twice a year like clockwork whoa Damn. Yeah, yeah it was just compounding growth and i went oh, 
that's way easier. Right. You just got to <laughs> wait longer. <laughs> exactly. We literally talked about him buying a car. Yeah. That's, that's what I was trying to do, Kyle, with that stupid Utilicorp United. Yeah, back when you were 13. Yeah. Yeah, uh, then Enron. Yeah, and I, and I sold like a retail idiot because I didn't actually know what I was doing. Like a Nancy Pelosi. Except sold like a Pelosi. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. right. Okay, so uh, you also said that in your bio here, it says that you, you worked in a large family office with like some like really rich people. And you learned a lot from observing like what they did. Like what were some of the takeaways of that experience? Yeah. So they didn't lose money. Uh, honestly, oh. so they had large, let's say they worked for a public, uh, publicly traded company. Mm-hmm. They had large, you know, let's say, I don't know, round numbers, uh, like a hundred million shares of X, Y, Z. Well, they would buy put options against X, Y, Z if they could just protect any downside. Mm-hmm. Or uh, if you have a large stock position, you start, you know, selling calls, yep. generate tons and tons of income. But they also, what I learned was, um, they were typically pretty boring investors, nothing crazy. They had a handful of hedge funds, investments, things like that, but it was really about exceptionally low cost uh, mutual funds. So I had noticed that I picked up on that. They use dimensional funds a lot, which, you know, shamelessly, that's, that's what I use because after seeing them use it and then digging into the mechanics and the, all the details and went, Oh, it actually kind of makes sense. What um, is a dimensional fund? So it's just a, it's a mutual fund company. Um, they're a little different in that they have exceptionally low fees, uh, but they charge a, you know, a, a transaction fee, which in the long term you actually end up saving more money mm-hmm. that way. So uh, I picked up on that. And then also they were tax savvy. I mean, everything started with tax planning and then worked its way backwards from there. Oh. And that was a very fascinating one because you may, you know, you'll hear people brag, right? They're go, like, oh, hey, I made like a 50% return this year, but their taxes eat them alive on their return. While other people that, you know, you may make an extra few percentage points in return in the real world just because you're being smart with your taxes. Hmm. So can you give an example of like how that works? Yeah. Um, I like beating on California a lot. So let's do that. Let's keep that going. <laughs> Somebody from Texas beating up on California. Well, what a surprise, right? <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, so if you're a high income earner in California, you have roughly a 60% tax rate. Mm-hmm. So what happens if I can get you a better return by simply, we don't even, we use, we're using mutual funds. We use California based mutual funds that help with the municipals because they're not taxed at the, tax, uh, the state rate. Hmm, okay. So you get a better return, better real life return in income because you're not being taxed. Oh, so it's even looking like from the asset classes you're picking, like you start with the tax burden in mind and try to pick something that has the advantage there. Exactly. I actually have specific portfolios for California. Interesting. Yeah. And it's, it just, it kind of makes a little bit of sense. And at the end of the day, and I know we'll get into this later on, but like about, it's really about consistently investing and just staying invested. That's, that's the secret. That's mm-hmm. the secret sauce right there. Um, but I do love doing the technical analysis, you know, but at the end of the day, it's just the boring, consistent investing. Part. I know. Like the, the, the long-term slow growth to wealth is the, the tried and true, very likely to succeed, but ah, so boring. But why not do both, right? Yeah, you know, exactly. Exactly. I have a client, we do both. He does his own aggressive trading and he's doing real well this year. 
I was like, just keep doing both, man. Just do your thing. Yeah. Yep. If you do one, if you do the act of trading well enough, uh, you you just get more money for that long term portfolio. <laughs> exactly. And you're buying in now while everything's down. You're buying things at a discount. Yep. Um, okay, James. So this is the this is the meat of the uh, the episode here. This is this is your your what do we call it? Your expertise. The six big behaviors. Uh, this is this is what really piqued our interest when we when we saw your application to to, to join us. Uh, Dan and I are, are huge believers in the psychology uh, aspect of trading, and so seeing uh, seeing somebody else uh, echo that statement, like well, we definitely want to talk to them, talk about that. Yeah, awesome. I mean, it's it's a uh, it's fascinating because once you learn that your decision making is based off of emotions, mm-hmm. it's night and day. Uh, there's a great book I would recommend y'all read called Thinking Fast and Slow. Have you ever heard of that one? No, but uh, make a note of that. It's uh, it's pretty trippy. So it talks about systems one and systems two thinking. So systems one is, uh, if I remember this right, is basically I'm thinking fast kind of intuitively, mm-hmm. you know, off the cuff. While systems two thinking is more deep dive, deep analysis, but it wears you out. So your yeah. body... You're tricking your brain to go do more systems two thinking, but it gets fatigued and it falls back on systems one. Mm-hmm. And systems one has like biases, you know, blind spots, things like that. You go, oh, I know I'm right, like, but you're not doing the analysis. Well, system one is the shortcut to keep you from having to do all the system two thinking. Exactly. Exactly. And it's how, it's how we evolved. It's, mm-hmm. um, it's mind-blowing stuff. Uh, have you ever, read, you ever read the book Blink? The Act no. of Thinking Without Thinking? No, what's just, that about? We just talked about it a, a little bit on the uh, um, Back to the Futures, but we didn't really dive into what it was about. But it's it's kind of similar. It's about how to it's about how we can make quick snap decisions intuitively by using like less less but more important metrics to like analyze. Um, I don't know if that's making a whole lot of sense, but I can give a real world example. Um, uh, a hospital was um, diagnosing people for uh, heart attacks and then trying to determine how to treat them uh, after they've come in and like they've you know done their questionnaire and their checklist. And the hospital was like starting with this 20 page checklist, like, are they smokers? You know, is this their first heart attack? Uh, and then they're going down this list of all these details and it's just too much information. And the more stuff, the more criteria you're looking at, your brain cannot weight them properly. Uh, based on like how much they should be weighted when you're looking at detail level or detailed analysis that deep. So they took the same hospital who had like a success rate of like 50% and properly diagnosing, you know, higher risk people mm-hmm. uh, brought them up to closer to 90 by shrinking their checklist down to three questions. Interesting. And it went a lot quicker too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's about, it's, uh, it's more about like, how to get better at using those snap judgments. That's fascinating. I'm actually a huge fan of checklists. There's a, there's a book about checklists. So you just don't miss something. Right. Huh. <laughs> the che- my guest checklist is still in development. It's only been a year and a half. <laughs> are, are they kissing our ass? Yes or no? Done. <laughs> right. <laughs> are they bribing me with treats? Yeah. Dynamite. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll send you the link to that uh, when when we uh, uh, put this episode out, if you want to check it out. Yeah, I'd appreciate that. Um, but yeah, so let's let's get into the, the six big behaviors then. 
Yeah, so uh, I'll list them off in, in order, and then we can just definitely do a deep dive into each of these. Do it. Uh, so, so the six behaviors, these are key behaviors where the first three are kind of based on you internally, and the mm-hmm. second three are kind of based on you externally. Okay. So it sounds kind of dumb, but the most, and it's always importance of order. So the most important one is faith in the future. Okay. Sounds kind of odd, right? Yeah. But it's faith in the future. The second one is being patient. Oof. The third is being disciplined. Those are the three on you. Mm-hmm. And then the next three is your asset allocation. And then being diversified, which you, you commonly hear these things. But the last one that I have yet to hear is rebalancing. Keep rebalancing your accounts. Right. So those are the big six key behaviors. I know it sounds like I was going to use some like crazy, you know, names or words, but no, it's really just those six things right there. Oh, uh, faith in the future at number one, though. That seems kind of bold to me over, over your risk management and your, uh, sorry, what was number two again? Uh, Patience. Patience. Yeah. Patience has been one that I've been a big preacher of for quite some time now. And still oh, screw it up. <laughs> so, yeah, Alex, can you explain what that means? Faith in the future? Yeah, so you're basically saying, I don't know when it's going to get better, but I know that it is going to get better. Uh, and a really good recent example is March of 2020, when mm. the stock market had its steepest decline in history. Uh, I was working, taking phone calls, and the amount of people I heard panicking that were watching the news, seeing it's the end of the world, there's a, there's a virus and a pandemic, we're all going to die. Right. And those that, you know, we could you know convince, hey, I know this is pretty rough right now. Stay invested. You'll be OK. Um, enjoyed one of the best or the fastest recline or uh, inclines in the stock market in U.S. history. Yep. As well as a great few years. And those that sold, no matter what, if you pick the right stocks or mutual funds or made their big trade, you lost all of those gains. And now you're trying to rebuild those back up. Mm hmm. On top of that, you're already kind of mentally playing a little catch up and you may be getting a little bit more aggressive than you need to be or buying a little bit more recklessly. So faith in the future is, is almost just confidence in what you're doing more than anything else. Yeah, it's, it's a confidence. And, you know, we got to remember that the, the U.S. stock market, you know, that's where I'm based. So the U.S. stock market is resilient as a mm-hmm. country. The United States was built on creating wealth. And in fact, it failed time and time and time and time again till we learned how to build or grow tobacco. Mm. And then it shot off. And that's actually been like that American spirit. I think it sounds dumb. It sounds, you know, kitsy, whatever. But that's really important. It's, you know, we'll figure out a way to keep making more money. In fact, uh, this year, most large companies have had the most uh, uh, highest profit margins they've had since the 50s. Mm-hmm. But we don't think about that. So it's just, it's kind of being knowing that. We're going to find a way to adapt. Our system allows us to adapt. We can create companies, you know, in some places with just a, a quick checkbook and a signature. Yeah, that's, I think that's how we did it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's definitely one number one. That is the most important no matter what. Just, I mm-hmm. know it's going to get better. I just don't know when. All right. And then I think patience is kind of self-explanatory then. It's about being able to sit on your hands and, and let, uh, let your plan actually work. Yes. Uh, there's times when... You know, we kind of want, we see the market moving up and down. We want that, uh, that ability to do something. So we do something and maybe you don't need to be doing anything at all. In fact, uh, Charlie Munger is known for saying, 
you know, you guys are paying me to not make mistakes and to sometimes not do the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And I know it can be frustrating. And I do that as well. We, you, know, we, you know, without giving advice, you know, we have a little bit more cash in our portfolios than normal because of the volatility that we're having. Mm-hmm. We, just, we know it could get better. And some folks that have a shorter time horizon have more cash. Plus, you want to be able to have bullets for if it does get worse. Because if you're on a longer time frame, right, you're just looking to accumulate. And if you can get it at a discount, you know, exactly. you don't care what the price is going to be two months from now. You care what it's going to be 10 years from now. Exactly. All right. And then number three? Number three is being disciplined. You know, it's investing in what's always worked and what continues to work. And I beat on Bitcoin and all the cryptos constantly for this. Mm. You know, invest in things that work. Don't speculate. Don't gamble. You're not gambling. You're investing. So find something that's worked. It's consistently worked and keep using that. So do um, you, you don't subscribe to Fortune Favors the Bold? <laughs> I do. <laughs> I'm all about it. But Bitcoin is a, uh, it's not my thing. <laughs> I got kind of a funny story about that. Oh, no, here, you'll like this. So um, in college, I think Bitcoin is about a dollar a coin. And uh, a buddy of mine in German, uh, he uh, he was always ahead of the game. He knew about Minecraft before it was even released. Like, he was always ahead of the game. Mm-hmm. And he goes, hey, man, like you're in economics. Like Here's 30 Bitcoin. You can use this to go buy something. I was like, that's awesome. What can I, like, where do I go buy it? And he goes, at a vending machine in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't know if it's going to work, man. And he goes, oh, no, 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 just hold on to it. I was like, okay. So like the next week I traded it for like a case of Keystone. Oh, no. It's free beer. Yeah. yeah, free beer. And I was like, cool, man. Like, it's Lubbock, Texas. It just became a wet county. Awesome. And who knows what happened with it. But, I mean, look at what it is today. I would say that you didn't have faith in the future or <laughs> patience in the, yeah. that scenario. I yeah. definitely did not. I had no idea what it was. <laughs> this is dumb. This is bad. You know, for, for my clients, I just tell them, I'm like, hey, look, it's too volatile for me to even build a financial plan around. I just, I can't do it. If you want to do it. You're on your own. I'm rooting for you. Prove me wrong. Well, the I mean, there's a proper way to invest in speculative assets, right? I mean, but that's that where that's where it comes to your balance or your portfolio. Like, if you want to have some crypto in your portfolio, you can go right ahead. But it shouldn't be more than like five or ten percent of your total portfolio. Exactly. It should be a much smaller portion, not not fortune favors the bold. YOLO, let's go. <laughs> I'm either it's either coming up red or black. <laughs> well, you guys aren't doing the uh the Reddit meme trades? Uh I mean sometimes. sometimes. They get some good momentum, but I mean not for not for weeks on end. Uh, usually it's, you know, in and out. I I did I did intend to just blind short Bed Bath and Beyond when it hit thirty, but I yeah, uh, I wasn't trading that day and I missed missed my entry. We specifically talked about it too. <laughs> that was the s- specific oh. level we called out. <laughs> Literally, like, and hey, we, if this gets to thirty, just buy some puts. You're gold. <laughs> and we both forgot it. We both, yeah, missed it. <laughs> <laughs> That's still the craziest story. I remember seeing the headline. It's like some kid, you know. I was like, okay. I looked into it. I was like, some kid with his parents giving him $25 million. I went, oh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> some kid indeed. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> was that, I saw a video on Twitter about a guy like talking about how he made his first million dollars going through like day trading and like writing down your levels, losing your money, then doing this, doing that. And at the very end of it, dad gives you $1 million to start your business. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's like, how do you make a million dollars in horse racing? Yeah. Start with 10. Yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what about the, the other external behaviors you mentioned? Let's yeah, talk so a little more about those. Definitely. So the external ones, uh, asset allocation. Mm-hmm. So that is the ratio for cash, stocks, and bonds in your portfolio. And you can argue real estate as well, but, uh, you know, that's going to be the greatest determiner in the lifetime returns you get is your asset allocation. What and is a typical bond return? Oh, I am not very familiar with bonds, but they always look so small. Well, and they, they have been. So in the 70s and 80s, they were pretty high. You know, they were 10% right. or something like that with the interest rates being so high. But when they effectively dropped them down to zero. Mm-hmm. You know, a good quality bond was maybe returning 1%. Mm. Okay. So it, I'm not crazy. I wasn't misreading that. <laughs> yeah. When they're 10 not, or 15%, yeah, sign me up. I'll take bonds all day long. And here's the tough part about bonds. Um, so when, when interest rates rise, the bond prices drop because oh. that bond coupon rate isn't worth as much. Oh. So if you're buying individual bonds, and you're saying, I'm going to trade these bonds to make money, uh, you're, you're struggling right now because mm-hmm. interest rates are increasing high and mm-hmm. a lot. But then also inflation's increasing too. Exactly. So that's where that conversation comes in about what is your required rate of return. Mm-hmm. And therefore, based on you know, whoever's you know, models or, or whatever, what is the appropriate asset allocation for you? Because maybe those guys that are in California that have the muni bonds only need a certain percentage mm-hmm. of consistent tax-free income to reach their goals. Mm-hmm. While others, you know, may need a lot more of where bonds aren't going to make sense, especially if they're trying to trade long-term because if you have a 30-year bond at 2%, eh, your money could probably be spent elsewhere because the opportunity cost is so high. Yeah. And that's where I've always struggled when it comes to bonds. And I mean, I'm, I would just, I guess I'm surprised that they've never really seem to revisit that after the bond rates like dropped as much as they did. Yeah. Well, there's folks that, that was also another behavioral thing too. So they had, there's people that had these, you know, 30 year bonds. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's say they had them a while ago and let's say they had, they were selling like or 8% coupon rate. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Right. Yeah. Well, they're like, well, I don't want to sell it because I'm making so much money off of it. Right. So what do you do? It's, it's a tough game. Uh, bonds are, tough right now and it's the largest market in the world is the bond market oh it's yeah, interesting u.s yeah. treasuries tips all those fun things uh so what is the right ratio is that based on age do they still uh is that still the metric like you take your age and then uh, the, there's like a scale that shows you what your percent allocation should be yeah i personally i hate those um because everyone's so different everyone has such a different risk tolerance Mm-hmm. Um, so I generally see them broken down by tenths. So let's say it's 90% stocks, 10% bonds, you know, 80, 20, 60, 40, et cetera. Mm-hmm. You know, those are kind of the common ratios you'll see. It really depends on what's for you is based on the, how much risk can you take? How long is your time horizon? And what do you want for that money for? So when we talk about the financial planning world and goals-based investing, you, know, you may have a portfolio designated for your beneficiaries to inherit. Mm-hmm. Let's say that's 50 years from now. Well, their bonds probably aren't going to be required in there. Right. But it's very short term. You need a consistent income. 
that may be a higher amount. You still need to have, so when you retire, you don't want to have all bonds because you may live 30 years in retirement. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So they, they, I've seen the new number that changed to like, you know, it used to be like hundred minus your age is the right asset allocation. Yes, okay. That's what sense. it was. Yeah. It, it made sense in the sixties when you maybe retired for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Now I'm trying to change it to like 120 minus your age as a rule of thumb. I mean, I, it's, it, I'll be, I'll be very honest. It truly depends on your situation. Mm-hmm. Everyone's so different. Ah, weird, huh? Almost yeah, like you need somebody who like studies this stuff to be able to help uh, advise you. <laughs> you dorks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what was number two? Uh, so number two in there is the diversification. Ah, yes. That yep. is definitely important. Yeah, I was listening to y'all. Um, I can't remember the, the fellow from Australia. Anthony Fatsies or mm-hmm. uh, Phil Muscatello? Phil Muscatello. Yeah. Yeah, he was a good one. Yeah, and he said something great, too, because you don't want to be over-diversified, which I couldn't agree more with. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you know, you want to own... You don't want to own enough of something to make a killing, but also get killed by. Right. And so that's, I, I had a client that had, uh, let's say $2 million in her account. Okay. And she had, I think, three or four companies that she's held since, honestly, like the 60s and 70s. So they just grown so much. But she couldn't sell anything because if she sold it, the capital gains would have just killed her. And she was so much right. bigger, it kind of made sense for her to pass. Uh, and then the basis steps up on those stocks and then they can be sold and distributed to the com- to the rest of the family. Mm-hmm. So diversification is definitely a big thing. I know you all have talked about that. Um, you know, owning a handful of companies, mutual funds, stocks, et cetera, in those sectors or wherever you're investing makes sense. And you also have to really be careful too, because um, like if you own the SPY, and maybe it doesn't make sense to own like, you know, some of the stocks that are like a major component of it. Like you have to really pay attention to the double exposures in some of these different ETFs or mutual funds that you could be holding as well. It happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at people that go, I'm diversified and you dig into the portfolios, they all own Apple, you know, the biggest companies, Exxon, whatever. Yeah. Um, it actually happens quite a bit. To truly be diversified takes quite a bit of work and it's, it's tough. Mm-hmm. Um, and even on top of that, you know, if you think about your types of investments, right? You have, let's say, a mutual fund or an ETF. Well, now you have ETFs that are out there called actively managed ETFs. Have you ever heard of mm-hmm. those? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we've talked to a few who have their own. Change Bridge. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. And like those act differently than a normal ETF because ETF you you have the tax advantage, but you don't have the buying advantage. So that's a big part of it as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and number three, uh, number three is rebalancing. So rebalancing, yes. How often are you supposed to do that? Uh, there's really four ways of doing it. Um, honestly, doesn't remember. It doesn't matter. So Vanguard did some research. It truly doesn't matter as much about how often you do it, but that mm-hmm. consistent. Sorry, my parents' dog next to me whining up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Sorry, Dan usually has chickens in the background. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> The, so the rebalancing is an interesting one. So you can rebalance once a year on the same day, twice a year, same days, you know, once a quarter, same day, or based off a percentage gain in each of your assets. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really good. And as long as you're consistent and you're using the same methodology at the same time every year, you'll be okay. Mm, okay. Uh, it's just you have to be rebalancing. And if you're trying to do... 
you know, go, oh, I'm doing analysis, but it's at a different time of the year. What you're really trying to do is time the market. Mm, so it's right. just, you know, be kind of consistent, you know, schedule a day, take a day off. You know, I do it. I guess this isn't financial advice. So this is not financial advice. I did this uh, July 4th week mm-hmm. because what's more American than rebalancing your accounts? Ah, um, I mean, probably drinking beer and shooting fireworks. That's true. <laughs> 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 do, do, do you try murdering any animals and, and throwing them on fire? I need to, I need to do that. <laughs> <laughs> we used to have the most America days. I used to have this old house. It was so cool. Uh, we had another air show and they'd always turn over by my house. Okay. And so we, uh, we call it the most American day ever because it was typically around this time of year. Air shows going on, watching college football, drinking beer. I got a Mustang at the time out front, and we're grilling and smoking meat. Nice. And we're like, this is America Day. Yeah. America. <laughs> 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 it sounds like the Texas I remember. Oh, yeah. Wh- which part of t- Texas were you in? Uh, I was born in Houston. Used to spend every summer there with my grandparents. Yeah. I grew up out in Katy. Yeah, okay. No, that's not too far from where they're at. They're over off of Westheimer. Um, i trying to think of what the name Shadowbriar Estates. I know exactly that neighborhood. Yeah, that was such a great area because like, it's seven minutes to like anything you could ever want. Oh, yeah. There's just so much stuff there. But Dude. then it also felt like you're getting into a sauna every time you walked outside. You don't like that? But, you don't like putting deodorant on your back? You know, no. your back <laughs> I don't like sweating as soon as I get into the garage. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, okay. So the six big behaviors, these are the six big behaviors that, uh, that, that people should be doing to be better savers, better investors, better retirement planning. Exactly. Um, but not necessarily the six big behaviors, uh, that like, like, uh, like bad behaviors is kind of what I was thinking. This is going to go. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So like, don't be emotional. Don't <laughs> like when you, uh, yeah, don't, don't make emotional purchases. It'd be one I was thinking, or, uh, uh, what else, Dan, what's another good revenge trading. Uh, don't, yeah. Don't trade angry. Yeah. <laughs> know when to walk away. <laughs> know when to walk away. Right. That's it. Right there. You got to know when to hold them. <laughs> know when to fold them. Yeah. There's a lot of similarities between trading and poker. There really is. I, uh, I knew a guy that ran a hedge fund and he goes, the reason why I'm a good hedge fund manager is because I'm a really good poker player. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's why I say like, cause I look at these from, you know, you have to think about too, like when we're doing the financial advisory and a plan, we're focused on the higher view. Mm-hmm. I'm going to let the mutual fund guys go and do the deep dives. Right. Yeah. And I'm hoping they're not revenge trading or anything like that, but I know <laughs> that they're still using these methods just to keep it going and be consistent. Cause Think like a pendulum, right? The further you pull that pendulum back, the further it goes. Mm-hmm. And that's how investing is. And hey, you, you got to love those days that are really good, but those days that are bad, just know it's going to get better because you did the research, you bought quality investments, you know mm-hmm. they're going to get better. So speaking of uh, bad uh, um, decision making, like what are some of like the common things you see from from the people who come to you for help? Ooh, following Jim Cramer. Ah, <laughs> you listen to us. <laughs> you definitely listen to us. Oh yeah, can agree anymore. <laughs> but Jim Cramer, um, you know, people treating it like it's gambling. Or oh, I heard about this company; they're going to make all this money in this IPO. And I'm like, you're the exit strategy in the IPO is you buying your shares. Yeah, yeah. just like Steve Madden, Wolf of Wall Street. Like you're the exit strategy. Right. 
<laughs> oh, I never thought of that. That's that's why they usually have lockup periods, though, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yep. And then depending on how it's set up, you know, you got 30 days, et cetera, whatever. They're all different. Mm-hmm. Um, now with these SPACs coming out, that just goes out the done. window. Yep. Yeah, those are kind of done. Uh, we'll see what happens with those. Those are kind of interesting as well. Uh, I've always wanted to get in on an IPO, but not on the first day it trades publicly. I've always wanted to get in on the initial offering. It's doable. Um, I've never been part of one in the background, but I've seen people that were, and they did very well for quality companies and others like Snap, like that IPO. Mm -hmm. Uh, That company is certainly struggling, but maybe they can turn it around. Excuse me. Sorry, I just had some pizza. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Um, I mean, ah, oh, geez, this has been a really good interview. Yeah. Covered yeah. a lot more stuff than I was expecting. Dan, what do you got for him? <laughs> Nothing special. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's just, this, this has all been good. It's, it's nice to, to talk to a, a CFP that isn't just, you know, the, the same exact interview, but with a new voice. No, it's nice to talk to one who's actually like tried to actively trade and knows like the struggle, mm-hmm. who understands a little bit of technical analysis and some of the other, like, like the appeal of it. Like you understand the appeal of it. Oh, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, uh, you know, I used, I know we were taught, we used, you know, RSI and Bollinger Bands and then exponential moving averages. And I was, Hey, what are the five or 10 indicators pointing to? Mm-hmm. And then, that's probably where it's going to go. But then again, Hey, it can just totally something can come out in the news and you lose. Well, we talked to somebody who has a way of measuring demand. <laughs> <laughs> he could not explain how or why, or even what demand actually is, but <laughs> he measures it somehow. <laughs> yeah, he does. Uh, what, do you, what do you guys use? How do you guys trade? I'm kind of curious. Yeah, I was going to ask if you had any questions for us, but perfect. Uh, uh, Dan, why don't you go ahead and uh, start out? Uh, just, you know, technical analysis. Um, I, I use the TPO charts. I'll look at, uh, well, using, using TradingView, mostly the daily TPOs, but uh, also some of the weekly and some of the, like, hourly and I'll look for balance areas, and I look for moving in and out of balance. So I'll try to uh, couple that with the RSI. Like if it's if it's moving, if it's looking oversold, and and I think it's rounding a bottom at the bottom of like a balance area, you know, I'm going to move in on some calls. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I've been studying futures for the last uh, I don't know, probably a year now. Mm-hmm. Uh, my Trading is basically looking at the the volume profile on the day, picking out areas where of interest as far as like low volume nodes, high volume nodes, ledges. Uh, I map out my areas, and then I have some tools that from Orderflow Labs that that help me with the execution side. But looking at the DOM, looking at Orderflow, uh, uh, looking for looking for the confirmation that other traders are interested in my areas, uh, and then I use that to influence my decisions. Interesting. So, you how here's something really interesting, though. Yeah, the strategy doesn't matter. <laughs> risk management is what matters. Yep. <laughs> proper risk reward on your trades and proper stop management. Uh, that's that's all you really need. It's that right. the actual mentality and discipline. I think I think we proved that with random stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have. <laughs> <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. Sorry, you started to ask something else, but I didn't mean to cut you off there. <laughs> oh, no, you're fine. I was curious, like, how do you guys, so do you ever did deal with, like, wash sales or anything like that? And uh, You mean, uh, let's see. Talk about tax stuff? Yeah, like, yeah, like dirty selling tax. something, but then trying to buy it back later because you just want to, like, eliminate the gains or, or realize a loss. Right. So it's like a 30 day window, a 61 day window. Technically it's like 30 days before and after you sell. A lot. I, I looked at it cause I wanted to harvest some losses, but I didn't want to actually lose my position either. Uh, so I never actually uh, attempted that. So there's something interesting. So wash sales basically kind of came into forbearance or whatever, or out in the open. It's been, the law has been around, I think since like the twenties or thirties. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no one ever did it because you didn't have to track cost basis. But once it became required to report to the IRS by the broker-dealers, they started tracking it. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that's interesting and not tax advice, but 1256 no. option contracts do not have wash sales. Oh. And in fact, their tax burden is 60% long-term, 40% short-term, no matter how long you hold on to those. Interesting. They're fascinating. That's actually one of the first places I worked at the company was in this uh, cost basis area. And that's when I learned that. And I only saw a handful or handful of people trading those only because the barrier to entry is fairly high. Mm-hmm. But you can actively trade those and that you get a better real-time return because, hey, you get a better tax burden. Interesting. Yep. Those are really cool. Um, I think like Bitcoin currently does not have wash sales or the crypto, but I think that's changing the next year or so yeah crypto is still uh, in the infancy stages of getting regulated right yeah it's um they're trying to turn it into 401ks which i'm not a fan of just because of the volatility yeah but they're well, trying hard you're you're in dallas what is your thoughts of mark cuban paying his players with bitcoin if they were smart they'd immediately sell it <laughs> <laughs> I, I appreciate them doing it <laughs> Like, where's all the Matt Damon commercials about crypto.com? <laughs> yeah, um, I think go? South Park did it, actually. They, <laughs> they have them selling PP water now, I think, is what the last thing I saw. God, you catch up with South Park. <laughs> uh, who was the, the uh, football player who took, like, most of his signing bonus in Bitcoin? Was that Lawrence over in Jacksonville? I think I what? saw a statistic on, like, how much money he'd lost of his signing bonus. It was, like, almost two-thirds of it. Yeah, it's just it's one of those things, and maybe that's just my personality. I'm like, I if I'm getting a signing bonus, like I want it in my hand. You know, I wanna I wanna say, okay, cool, great giant check, put in the bank. Because I know it's there. I don't want volatility on my earnings yeah. like that. Like if what I'm doing for a living, I want it to be as consistent as possible. I don't want to I don't want to get paid in an asset where the time it takes me to walk to the bank to cash the check could lose half its value. Exactly. I don't want to tweet from Elon to kill my bank account. But it could also go the other way too, though. So I guess I do see the appeal. Yeah. I mean, honestly, at that point, you have so much wealth, you have flexibility. Like, uh, yeah. like Patrick Mahomes, I think was the smartest player, whoever his advisor is, made the smartest decision with his massive signing bonus. Mm-hmm. He went and bought part of the Kansas, Kansas City Rangers, Royals. Royals. Okay. Like, that's brilliant. Like, how yeah. brilliant is that? Like, you have a, a hard asset that makes you tons of money. It's not going anywhere. That's I think that's being very smart with your money. Mm-hmm. It was uh, it was Trevor Lawrence, Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And apparently, he's tweeting and saying he didn't take his NFL bonus in in crypto. He took oh. a bonus 
from a crypto company he was endorsing. Oh, um, okay. But that's exactly what I would say if I lost fifteen million for taking my bonus in crypto. <laughs> I know, right? No, 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 no. I didn't no, do no. that. That's not what's going to happen. I'm not that brave. I'm not Matt Damon brave. Is that <laughs> yeah? <laughs> that in the the six uh, six bad. Uh, mentalities or emotions, six behaviors, the uh, embarrassment, <laughs> denial. <laughs> it's funny, but I think that does actually affect. Like uh, I know with like you and me, Dan, like because we share, we're very transparent about everything that we do. Well, I've lost so much money doing this. Sometimes <laughs> I don't want to take a trade because I don't want to have to tell anybody about it. <laughs> it doesn't work. Like I know this is a stupid idea. Do I really want to put this out in public? Yeah. <laughs> How do you guys, so I think from a legal point of view, like from a compliance point of view, which I'm sure you don't, it won't be an issue, but like, how does it work where you say, hey, I place a trade for X. And then like I say, it was like a buy or a call. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, I want to go there. And then let's say you affect, you know, 100 million people are looking at it and they buy it and your money raises up. Does that not account for like front running or anything like that? Uh, you'd have to ask Elon Musk and his lawyers. Because uh, <laughs> yeah. I think that's very similar to what he does a lot. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, I don't know how he gets away with some of the things he does. Speculation, speculation. Yeah. Well, Not allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. I certainly, I certainly think the the difference is the the presentation of we're not we're not presenting ourselves as like, hey, we're super rich. Follow us. We're saying, hey, we're some guys trying to figure this out, and we're going to share everything we're doing. So maybe mm-hmm. you can learn from our mistakes. Not. Hey, follow our trades. You know, we, we've got that nice disclaimer, disclaimer yeah. at the beginning and the end. Like, Hey, don't, <laughs> this isn't to follow. We're, this is, we're to two idiots learn. on the internet. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, we're the Tim Toolman of trading, not, yeah. not the LeBron James. <laughs> Remember, you're responsible for you. You should learn a system and follow it. Don't just yes. buy something. Educate yourself, read the books. If any listener out there is buying something because I said I'm buying it, they clearly aren't paying attention to the show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and they're not making money, I assure you. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Uh, yeah, yeah. Have you guys ever seen the Instagram page, uh, Unusual Whales? Oh, I we follow them on Twitter for sure, yeah. That's a fascinating one. That one always, you know raises an eyebrow at times yeah when like the uh the most recent one was look, like they did a, a deep dive analysis into like the stocks that all the congressmen uh have made money on and how much money they made on things that like fall within like areas that they're responsible for mm-hmm. very interesting it's an it's an interesting one um i hope that changes soon i know it got real popular for a bit then it kind of died down well, the problem is you're asking the people who are doing the bad behaviors to change <laughs> it, and <laughs> that stop. typically doesn't work. Exactly. Like if you asked your kids to set your bed their bedtime, but then you told them they had like, don't if stay you're up, staying too, up late. too late. Yeah, and you're like, hey, you guys are staying up too late. You want to set a better bedtime? Like, no, no, all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, this has worked for years. Yeah, there's nothing more bipartisan than money, apparently. Right. <laughs> Not parenting advice. Yeah. <laughs> Not parenting advice. Please keep your own babysitter. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Well, James, this has been a really wait, great wait. interview. We should let James get a, a plug in first before we, we well, would you, go. 
Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, go, go I thought ahead. you were reading but, your script. My bad. But My I don't bad. have a script. Oh, you don't? Not for these. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought. Well, wing it again, Dan. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> oh, James, this has been fantastic. Thanks for stopping by. You want to let everybody know where they can find you? Absolutely, Dan, Kyle. It's been a pleasure. Uh, the best way to find me is going online, uh, woodallwealthmanagement.com. It's W-O-O-D-A-L-L, wealthmanagement.com. I know it's a mouthful. Uh, that's probably <laughs> the best way to get a hold of me. Uh, also, my website, I have a particular section about free guides. Uh, take a look at it, see if it helps out. Um, something I always do for the listeners, I say, just give me a call or, or reach out online and say where you found me. Um, we'll certainly do, you know, uh, a free, no obligation, just health check for you and see where you are. We're tracking on an overall and holistic scale. Where can people reach you? Uh, good phone number is 214-281-4496. Um, on LinkedIn, Woodall Wealth Management, trying to get an Instagram, but I'm still trying to figure that one out as well. <laughs> are you on Twitter? Uh, no, I haven't done Twitter yet. Is it, do you think I should? Uh, Twitter seems to be the one where the degenerate gamblers go to. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was going to say there's a lot of investment and finance people on Twitter, but you know, degenerate gamblers works too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm only speaking for myself. <laughs> a lot of smart uh, yeah. traders there too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I would highly suggest you should get a Twitter. I will. Uh, I'll get one tonight. I'll do that. So hopefully there's a Twitter out under Woodall wealth management. <laughs> By the time this airs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if there's a link in the episode description, then he got it done. He got it done, right? <laughs> oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Yes. Thank you again. Um, it's been a great time. Thanks to you listeners sticking around to the end of the episode. We hope you had a good time and we will be back at you soon. Uh, until then, Kyle, any, any last words you want to top James? Not advice. Not advice. Not advice. Not advice. Don't follow us. <laughs> All right, folks. Happy trades. Bye. Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks in the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.